Hey, I'm Danny Mazer, and you are listening to the Soul Stories podcast, an extension of Soul Stories, where we are creating connection through dialogue. In this season, I speak with community leaders and creatives as we explore meaningful topics and the obstacles that they have encountered along their paths. It's inspirational, it's fun, it's complex. Matt Mazer, who is also my dad, is a big-hearted man who grew up in inner-city Cleveland. Early success in football and business pushed him further into a self-absorbed perspective of the world. You'll hear why my conservative and Catholic father is both my role model and a major reason why I do soul stories. I learned a lot about him in this interview, and I think you will find his story inspirational for your own. Enjoy. How are you doing, Dad? I'm doing fine. Thanks, Danny. How's your day so far? It's good. It's good. Saturday mornings, I start out with our men's group at St. Paul's, and uh, it's a Bible study group, but it's the interaction, and it's the discussion and dialogue between the group that's there. Usually about 12 to 15 guys together, and then afterwards, we go up to uh, Saturday morning Mass, so it's a real bonding experience, a spiritually bonding experience that I really enjoy. Nice. Okay, so the reason we're doing this is because I see you as my role model. I see you as someone with a huge heart, and you also happen to be Republican. And so this, it's an interesting position to be in because when I talk to my friends about our relationship, I think it's hard for people to comprehend, and I'm sure this is for both sides of the aisle, is how can you be in a true relationship with somebody on opposing sides of the aisle. Sure. So in this conversation, I'm, I'm trying to avoid, you know, talking about your support of Trump or being a Republican, um, because we get in some heated fights, you know, we throw some jabs at each other. Sure. I'd yeah. like, I'd like to say I've won most of them. Um, but that's just cause I'm like mentally agile, you know? Yeah. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to disrupt this interview. <laughs> I would say, though, Danny, that uh, I consider myself more conservative than Republican. Okay. Because the party itself, I think, has a lot of flaws. It's so my ideals or my values are conservative. Okay. That's good to know because I think we'll go deeper into that question later down the interview. Um, so let's get into it. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in a uh, Polish neighborhood in inner city, what would today be described as inner city Cleveland, Ohio. In my day, it was just another one of the ethnic neighborhoods that made up the structure of cities like Cleveland and Detroit and Pittsburgh and Buffalo and Chicago. Ours, it's where my grandmother and ancestors settled. They were Polish in origin, came from Poland, and they settled in like neighborhoods. In other words, in this case, where there were Polish people that they could speak to, they could talk to and go to Polish churches. There were Italian neighborhoods, Irish neighborhoods, etc. throughout Cleveland. And that was how Cleveland pretty much grew up. Mine happened to be um, in a, what you would probably say is a lower middle class, inner city, ethnic neighborhood. But we never described it as inner city. We described it as just being the South Side, and we were very proud of it. We were very proud of our heritage as Polish Americans and the values that we held. So it was a good area to grow up in in the 1960s. Uh, it was an area that was dominated by sports, sports activities. Uh, if you wanted to be somebody in the neighborhood, you played basketball at a place called the local rec center. We had two of them, one for the winter, one the summer. We had a park that you could play baseball or tackle football. We also had, down the hill from us, very close proximity in the industrial area right near the steel mills, uh, baseball and football fields where you can play your trade. So we grew up playing sports year-round and typically pick up sports until you got older as you got into more organized sports. But it was a very... Um, the neighborhood was compromised of families, the fathers that worked in the steel mills, mothers that were homemakers. My father happened to be a Cleveland policeman. 
but again, it wasn't, uh, you didn't have a lot, but you didn't know that, and you didn't need a lot. What we had, in my family in particular, is we had a deep abiding faith in Catholicism, our Catholic religion, and we had love. My parents were very loving. They came from broken families, interestingly enough, and I think what that, what that does to an individual, any individual, makes them want to compensate for their broken family growing up. They're growing up. And so we had a very loving mother and father to guide us in this neighborhood. Neighborhood was tough. You know, it's, it's like you hear some people talking about fighting was not uncommon, typically fist fights in Lincoln Park or in some area. Some, something got out of hand, and uh, there was a fist fight or a brawl broke out. That was not uncommon. And there were people that you feared in the neighborhood because they were some pretty tough guys, guys that ended up spending a lot of time in prison. However, they also respected certain norms in the neighborhood. So if you were playing basketball and those same guys were there, you played the game. You played the game hard, and there might be a fight breaking out, but typically there wouldn't be. It would just be good, hard competition. But that was not unusual. So it was a, is what you'd call a tough neighborhood, but a good neighborhood to grow up in and to grow up and understand that, uh, you know, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta fight hard in life to make it, to be successful. So you're growing up in this neighborhood that is considered low income inner city by today's standards. You have this loving family who is pushing you towards faith towards treating others with love and you're also like navigating people outside who who may be treating you with respect but also there's like something to be feared in some of these guys so you have to navigate this neighborhood a little that's bit. right exactly it's good word nece- for it it's not necessarily like a safe place right there were there were places and people that you had to avoid and you knew that from a fairly young age and you avoided them and so you talk about becoming a fighter in a way and i know you as a sports guy as you mentioned what does that do to your psyche growing up in that neighborhood where you have these divided ways of being on one hand loving on the other hand navigating um, what could be considered unsafe yeah it's a very good question because i think it and on one hand it provides a certain amount of character it builds within you on the other hand, it limits you to that same character, especially for later on in life. You know, at the beginning, you know, it teaches you to stand up for yourself, to be competitive, and not to back down from anybody. And, and I have a very competitive spirit, probably born of that or that contributed to that, my environment. But on the other hand, as you grow older and you understand that life isn't just about competition or fearing the guy or you know, wanting to confront somebody, but it's more about how can I contribute to the other individual? How can I let go of myself to give to others? And that's always been hard for me to do. Growing up, that's been a very much a journey for me because through college football, I took the competitive spirit to the nth degree, to its maximum levels within myself. I grew up with it. I cherished it, and it proved to be very beneficial to me. But as I became a parent and I became an adult and I became a businessman in the working world, you have to understand how to concede, how to give more of yourself to somebody else so they can succeed. It's a whole different paradigm than what I grew up with in my neighborhood. What is one of those experiences, you know, being this competitive fighting college kid Um, And to transition, because right now, as I mentioned, I know you as a big-hearted, loving individual. Can you point back to an experience that may have, like, started to shift or chip away at that um, need for self-protection? Yeah, and I'm sure there were a few experiences, one of which was having children. It's a very humbling experience because these little babies, these little children now who tell you off or test your patience and they don't mean it out of spite but you can't take it as an adult or as an adult who grew up in a spirit where I want to win 
You can't take it that way. You have to learn that the child has to express itself. The child is looking for love more than anything at all. And so that was one of the first steps into my development or my transition from myself to somebody else. Marriage, and it, but especially with the children. The children truly bring humility into your life. It's not easy. Humility is not a gift that's just handed to you and say, here, you're humble. Humility has to be earned, like any of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, as we say in church. But that's the first step. The second step, as I had a very uh, traumatic experience, two of them, at a young age, at age 29, when I, I achieved my first big step in the business world to work for a Fortune 500 company, within a year I became very ill, very ill, seriously ill. And the doctors had a hard time figuring it out. I eventually came out of it, of course. It brought me to natural supplements. And this correlates in that I left traditional thinking. We're talking about me stepping out of my bounds, my traditional thinking, my traditional way of behaving. And when I was sick that first time and I in a world of natural supplements, and a group of people that are very much in a loving nature for others who teach you about things that nature has given us in supplements, in health and well-being. What do you mean by like a group of people? You, the group of people that, are, that run the health food stores, the oh. group of people that almost like who run 5Ks every weekend. There's a bonding that occurs with this group because there's a discovery to be in the group. Most people well, especially 30 years ago, were just obligated to the traditional doctor and prescription medicines. This group started a movement that said, not always. There are things that God has given us in nature, in plants, in herbs, in other supplements that you can take to support your system, to maintain optimum health prior to getting into a crisis situation. And it, it's a whole new mindset among the medical community and among those who believe in it. But again, it's another aspect of me stepping out of a zone that strictly only knew traditional medicine, only knew prescription medication. And I found this whole world after this illness. Okay, so now I've got children who are teaching me humility in a big way. Now all of a sudden at age 29, I knew nothing about natural supplements or this health movement. Let's call it a health movement that was so different from anything I knew growing up. And now I'm starting to open up more as a person to these things. And then just a few years later, I became hospitalized with a very intense sinus infection. But again, they didn't know what that was either. It was very severe. I'll just leave it at that. And it was during Lent. And Lent is a very holy time for me and those who practice the Catholic faith, it's in preparation of the great feast of Easter in our church. Well, it happened to be that I got very sick and was hospitalized for about five days in a, in a different city. And my wife picked me up. And at the time, uh, I think my faith was lukewarm. And I think uh, the good Lord hit me over the head and said, wake up, Matt, you got to get back on track with me because I was, uh, I was a good kid growing up and I was a faithful Catholic, but I had left it. I got selfish when I became uh, fairly competent in football and in my career in that way. So as I come back, as I get sick and I come back, it occurs to me that I had received a message. I'd received a message that you gotta change, Matt. You're still not there. You're still hanging on to old habits, even though you're in the professional business world now, even though you have a family, and the family was young, and my business experience was 10 years at the most at the time, but a higher power, God was telling me I wasn't doing enough. I, I needed to give more of myself. I need to let go of my selfish self and thinking I'm number one and that it's all about me, and I, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but not a lot, and that began another piece to the journey, and almost simultaneous to that, 
the church we attended, where we lived, began a men's group, which I had never heard of. And I very reluctantly joined the first meeting. They were once a month. And I was very hesitant, as were most of the group. Shy, didn't know what to say. How do you talk about your faith? You know, as men, it's difficult. We don't open ourselves up. Well, I got the fever. Or better yet, I got the Holy Spirit. And we all did. And after a few sessions, I started looking forward to this. And I started looking forward to opening up with other men my faith. Something I had never done. I'd never been taught to do when we should have been. That's another story. But okay, now all of a sudden, here's another transformative change in my life where I am now openly talking about my faith with strange men or 25 guys in a room that some I knew, some I didn't even know at all. But we talked very freely of our faith and how the troubles in our lives were either impacted by our faith or we turned to our faith as a solution. But it was open discussion of sharing your heart with each other guided by the Holy Spirit, and it was transformative. Now, all of a sudden, so you could see, Danny, there's a series, there's a progression going on here that all that is changing me. And as I truly believe, that progression was generated by God and his love for me, his love for all of us, and it helped me on a path. That was, that was the highest point of the change the men's groups, which I've belonged to ever since mm. in different cities because the sharing of the faith, the opening of my heart to somebody else about my faith and to support each other, as you do, very similar, is so worthwhile and so fulfilling that like this morning on a Saturday, I get up at 6.30 to join the group because there's a need for it. There's a need to regenerate myself through it. But that was the progression that happened that changed me. It wasn't easy. It wasn't slow. I mean, it wasn't fast. It was a slow progression. And I still have my moments. But that's how I changed from the environment that I grew up with, which was a good environment, but was more about myself and my successes and how to win to a point of how do I now give myself to others more. Yeah, I mean, that's really powerful, Dad. And just as your son, like I haven't even really asked those questions before and really understood your experiences when you were 29 and 32. And just to give them more background, because, you know, in this interview, I know your background pretty well. But you were, you played at Miami, Ohio, Mm -hmm. and you were a very successful offensive tackle. You were signed by the Oakland Raiders and cut therefore after, but you made it to the highest level of football. So you have the success. You go through some tumultuous periods. You meet mom. You have the family. And then you get to this Fortune 500 um, company. So now you're experiencing success in business shortly thereafter, not too many years after. Because I think a lot of people my age are in that same phase, even myself in some ways. And I think it's interesting to hear what that looked like to you. What does that selfish version of you look like? Whatever you're willing to share, you don't have to deprecate too much. Well, again, and it's a good, it's a good line of thinking. It's a good question because on the one hand, call it selfishness or call it super confidence is beneficial to you. It helps you achieve. And we are about achievement. Sometimes we take it too far in the achievement. But the achievement builds on itself. Everything builds on itself. Good, bad, or indifferent. It's going to grow on itself. So if you go back, I I leave the neighborhood to go to a Catholic high school in, in in a suburb of Cleveland. I'm from the inner city. Uh, I was not welcome there my freshman year, but they were the sports-dominant program, and it was a Catholic high school of its day, and I received a partial academic scholarship to go there. And in the end, I succeeded in sports there to the extent of we were a championship team. 
which got me a full scholarship to Miami of Ohio. Division One program at the time was number 15 in the country, and I'm just saying this because it was a very prominent program, and I was blessed to be offered a full scholarship. I had other offers. Lou Holtz recruited me to North Carolina State. That's uh, a famous football coach. Famous Hall of Fame football coach. Um, but instead, and Miami was a top program, four and a half hours away, a very good academic institution. And in my, by my sophomore year, I'm starting. And we win that championship. In the next two years, I started 33 straight games, and I had a tryout with the Raiders, as you mentioned. So as I'm going through this process, I gain more and more confidence in myself. But I also drew further and further away from others and from God. Well, what what does that look like? What does that confidence look like? What is the like? What are examples of you drifting away from others? The examples were: if you don't play it my way, get out of my face. Okay, and I mean it literally, and perhaps physically. In other words, I had no tolerance for those who I felt were a hindrance to my progress. Did that lead to fighting or Yeah, it led to it led to me confronting people. And it wasn't necessarily a fight, but I'd tell them off because they were in my space or I, I thought they were impeding me for some strange, goofy reason mm-hmm. and I had no qualms with going up to somebody and telling them what I thought and if whatever it took I was willing to go to that length. You weren't so, scared of consequence in, when you no, did those things? No, as a matter of fact, that's a great point. I don't think I even considered consequence. It was about me. And whatever somebody was doing to me that I took offense to, the heck with them. It was stop. You were so, trying to make They had stop. to stop. Yeah. I didn't care what the consequences were. And in that process, I did things that weren't good. I did things that were mean and hurt people. But it was because I felt, as I grew in the success and confidence, the confidence was overbearing, even to myself. It wasn't to me. I mean, I, I, but it's, I'm sure it was to other people. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I drove people away because, you know, it was, uh, you know, those who thought that, you know, who do you think you are? Now, on the other hand, I didn't totally abandon my love for people, which I've always had, and I think that's just an innate gift. Yeah. So I love to have a good time as well, mm-hmm. which ended up being partying, which ended up taking me down that extreme road. But when I got to party and let loose, I was happy with everybody, for yeah. example. And I loved being You're around. shifting from extreme to extreme. I'm going from extreme to extreme. Yeah. And when I came back to the sober moments... It was, again, don't get in my way. I'm a, I got a mission to do. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be playing professional football and whatever else. And maybe even on a, just a simple, basic human level of, like I said, you know, this guy, I don't like the way he talks to me. And I'd let him know. Yeah. Well, that's crazy when I think I think back on it. But on the one hand, it gave me super abundance of confidence because Division One football, say what you want, is really intense. It's a warrior mentality. And I grew in from being very confident into a warrior mentality. And unfortunately for the warrior mentality, that doesn't leave a lot of room for others. Right. And it doesn't leave a lot of room to embrace others. It's about you and your toughness and where you can take it. And I was going to take it to professional football. And so at the time then, if you carry it, when I was cut by the Raiders, I signed as an undrafted free agent. But when I was cut, it was when my world started crumbling. The college football was over. I was cut by the Raiders. My lifelong dream, a dream that was so passionate, it's off the charts. I can't even express to you how much I wanted to play professional football. And I was on the verge of it. I could taste it. I was there. I had that cup of coffee with them. And when it was taken away from me, I started crumbling. I started really struggling with, what do I do now? Uh, so I, I pursued Canadian League football one the next off season. It didn't work out for a lot of reasons. And I had to go into the working world, which I hated. 
eight hours in an office. <laughs> I never did that in my life. Yeah. And under somebody else's terms. Right. And it's, I started out as a headhunter, my first job, only because my teammate, who graduated uh, the semester before me, had the job waiting for me. Maze, I got it all ready for you. It's all set. So I took it. I had no right being in there. It was the worst gig I ever did, probably. But it was a job, and I knew I had to support myself. But I was really struggling then. I didn't have that goal again. And the game that had taken me so far is now over. Stop. Boom. Start all over again, Matt. Life's about to begin. And I got into boxing. I I got into things that, as you just mentioned earlier, were extremes. Um, You know, I I continued to uh, party. Well, it's it's so interesting because, I mean, I think about my dreams and I think about how much they're a guiding force in my life. And if I were to put myself in your shoes and – be at a point where I'm about to get soul stories is about to get legitimate money for whatever reason. We're about to make national news or something for like really making an impact. And all of a sudden something happens that's unexpected and it's taken away. I don't know how I would handle that. That would, that I would have to take, um, I would have to reshape my whole identity. Yes. You, you probably would. But the difference is, and something that's important, we talked about yesterday, as a matter of fact, when we, we talked about my grandson, your nephew, Henry, I had no concept of losing at any level. Now, I lost, and, and I, I got I got knocked in my, on the ground playing football, believe me. You know, you're, you're not successful every time. But in my mind, I always got up, and I was going to come back harder. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to lose. Like to the fullest extent of losing. Or what life meant, that life has wins and losses, Mm. and that you've got to adjust to both. And the Rudyard Kipling poem that Nick had given me, you know, it's a wonderful, wonderful poem. And and the uh, then son, I will call you a man or something, the... the, uh, Basically, if you if you look at winning and losing as both the imposters that they are, that's part of the poem. It's a beautiful line, and I didn't know that. I wasn't prepared for this kind of dramatic change. Not that everybody is, or but I should have. Looking back on it now, it's a side of me that was not developed and needed to be developed. Mm. I'm a big believer, as a side note, for those coming out. Football's a very emotional game. You know, Danny, you played it. You played it in college. It's it's a very, one of the most emotionally taxing games that Americans have invented. Mm-hmm. When you leave it and exit it, I do believe college football players, professional especially, and I'm sure they do it, should have counselors at the ready. Mm. to have a six-month session to talk about, now what does life mean? Now what's going to happen? And do you understand now consequences? Do you understand now fulfillment in life is more than just winning the game or being a starter? It is about losing. And how can you use that to help others? That's what I was missing. I was missing it to such a great extent that the crash I experienced was severe. Yeah, and that's so interesting that football forces you into that, but then you find success, as we mentioned, quickly thereafter. Like you got back in, and you you got back in the same mentality. You were you were still, I'm going to be a winner. And then it sounds like, which is so interesting at 29, that physical sickness was the moment that cracked your heart open and showed you some vulnerability. Like now you're mortal for the first time. You're actually mortal. Like, yes, you've lost, but now your, your life is out of your hands because of like physical sickness a little bit. Is that a fair projection? Yeah, it's a fair projection. And in fact, it's something that I couldn't believe was happening to me. And there's people around me, my peers and 
my brother, who couldn't understand it either. You're 29. Mm -hmm. And I was... Supposed to be healthy. And I was bedridden sick for like two months. It was a horrible, horrible illness that I had. And I couldn't believe it. It didn't make any sense to me. But it also gives you time for pause. It gives you time to think. Gives you time to think about what you're because you're not doing anything at this during this moment. Mm-hmm. You know the mind's racing on you, but it talked my diet and other things that you know maybe I do need to change. And it and, and actually at the same time as when I was introduced to the health food game. As a matter of fact, funny story. After I was diagnosed with this illness, I used to go to a health food store in the neighborhood where we lived in Nashville, and just to pick up an energy drink. That's all I did. That's all I knew about health food stores was I can get en- this energy drink I never saw anywhere <laughs> yeah. on my way to the YMCA and get a good workout in because yeah. it was ultra fuel. It was all carbs and man, I could get a good workout in. So after I'm diagnosed and I am very, very weak, uh, I was an inflamed liver. It was, uh, it was very weak and I had no strength, but I walked in there one time. I don't know why actually, but I walk in, it was a small place. And the lady was very knowledgeable and very nice. She said, boy, I always see you coming in here picking up that ultra fuel, but really, you don't look so good right now. Is there something wrong? I said, yeah, yeah, there's something seriously wrong. I have an inflamed liver, blah, blah, blah. And she said to me, are you taking CoQ10 and milk thistle? And I looked at her like she had three heads and (laughs) said, I don't know what you're talking about. And she handed me two pamphlets. And at this time, I didn't have a lot of money. I was breaking into the business world, but I got a young family. And, you know, I'm I'm basically a sales rep. And uh, she said, you don't even have to pay me for them. Take them home and read them and bring them back to me. Mm -hmm. They want to talk about an act of kindness because I didn't have a lot of money. So she gives me these two pamphlets, and one is on coenzyme Q10, CoQ10, which I still take to this day, which for the uninitiated is like taking, it's a powerful vitamin antioxidant, vitamin E, vitamin C type, but 100 times more powerful for your system in a good way. And milk thistle is an herb, is the most powerful liver cleanser that they know of. I'm sure there may be some synthetic prescription now, but but it has high side effects. Milk thistle does not. And I started on these two supplements, and by golly, it worked. Hey, y'all. If you like what you hear, please consider supporting us through Patreon for as little as $1 a month. You get access to bonus podcast content, and it provides the Soul Stories team the necessary resources to bring you more episodes and sustain the many projects we are already creating. You can find a link in the episode description. Now, back to the show. I started getting healthy, and about three months later, I was back to normal. Just my from liver those count. two. Yeah, just from those two. And I changed some of my eating habits, that type of thing, uh, just on a basic level. But So they came together. All of a sudden, at that point in time, this illness brought me to the health food game, to the natural supplements, which is another step in opening myself up to a new world, to another world that I knew nothing about, a world of love, yeah, a world where people were concerned about me. She gave me the pamphlets for free. I still consider that to this day at age 61, one of the great acts of generosity given to me just for two pamphlets. But I didn't have yeah. the money to buy the pamphlets, and she didn't ask for it. Yeah, I mean, that that when you said that, that honestly gave me the chills. That was to think that we, any of us, can have that kind of impact from that very small act of generosity, just seeing someone who's not well and being like, I have something that might be able to help you. Yeah. And that person is now etched into your mind forever. And as I got better... Man, I just said, these people are wonderful. I need to know more about them. I want to know. So as I traveled, and I was a traveling salesman, every small town I traveled in, I would stop at the local health food store. And the people were all just as nice. Yeah. And I'd ask about a new remedy or something else, and they would be 
they were so helpful. It was a community that wanted to help each other, that wanted to say the traditional medicine is, has its place, but there's a whole other world. Here we go again, another new world opening up that of and it's kindness and and it's about love and it's about helping one get to better health and with that health as we all know comes hope when you're in a desperate situation with illness you start losing hope and it, it plays on your mind anybody does yeah all of a sudden a group comes to you offers some things to you that help maybe not heal or maybe do heal you start gaining hope and now you start remembering these people, and now you start remembering that that feeling of kindness or love extended to you feels good. I need to do some of this. That's a good feeling. I've received it. Now I need to give it. This is now this is making more sense to me that there's more to life than that success I was pursuing right. the whole time before. But you're right, Danny. It never left me. Because I did pursue, with diligence, success in business. And I had my ups and downs. I mean, it's not it wasn't just you right, know, right. A, a gravy road. And we'll talk a little bit later about when I fell off of that place, too. But, uh, yeah, I did maintain the drive. So I still continued to have a drive where I wanted to be a professional in what I was doing. And I wanted to be the best in that profession. Right. Wow. Um so then, you know, your drive is still there, as you're saying, but you're starting to crack open and you're starting to experience vulnerability in a very, like, truthful way. Mm-hmm. And you're relying on community in different ways. Yep. How does that change how you in- interact with the world? What are, like, you know, before, and very specifically before, people are approaching you, if they don't do it your way, you're going to fight or you're going to confront or you're going to assert now that you've experienced a softness, you've experienced a generosity, what, are the, what do those interactions start to look like? The first change comes when you start listening to somebody. Instead of me dominating the conversation with my point of view, which I did, mm-hmm. and, or with my sentiments and my opinions, the change starts when you start listening and sit back and saying, Shut up, Matt. Listen to what this person has to say. And then see if there's a need there. And But the listening piece is the first step to me in now opening yourself up to how you can help others. Yeah. Am I conscious and am I aware of their pain, where they came from, what they need? Maybe it's something small. Maybe it's somebody to talk to. Maybe they need a smile. I laugh that day. But now all of a sudden there's a realization coming to me that, yeah, there is this need. And this is what I was taught in Catholic grade school Mm. that I had left. And now you're reminded of your family. And now I'm reminded of my family. And I'm reminded of what my father sacrificed as a Cleveland policeman raising four people. Never left his childhood home. Bought it from his mother. Never had aspirations for the bigger and better. Mm Mm-hmm. He was content with where he was at in his life, in his marriage, with his kids, in that home that he grew up in and stayed in until he died. And I, and then I saw the love of my mother and the support that it was coming back to me that, boy, she does a lot for people too. And I never considered it at the time. I never did anything. I just assumed that's yeah. what moms do and that's what dads do as providers, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. But they were very special providers, and now it started coming back to me that as a young adult, that's a pretty cool cycle to get into. And how but do, I've got to listen. How does the how do people start to respond differently? Do you notice something different in your interactions? Is it kind of like, whoa, I didn't have to fight before? Like maybe if I would have just listened, something would have changed? Oh, sure. And And... I'm I'm a relatively big guy, I guess, by today's standards and that type of thing. So, you know, there's that physical intimidation factor, which I used to my advantage in the past. Mm-hmm. Now I didn't want that. I wanted to dress nice. I wanted to, I wanted people to react to me as a friend. 
And again, this was a journey. This isn't overnight, and all of a sudden I started doing this and became yeah, I mean, St. This Anthony. Is, this was not, wasn't immediate. <laughs> <laughs> By the conversation, it sounds like 15 to 17 years almost. That's a good time frame. It's a yeah. good time frame. And, but all of a sudden, I wanted to walk away from a conversation as a friend. And I don't care if it was with somebody uh, that looked like me, that didn't look like me, man, woman, no matter, but I wanted to have an impact as a friend, not as somebody that was going to dominate the conversation and dominate the space. And it was, it's, that's a wonderful feeling to be able to do that. Not everybody accepts that, right, in our world. People, some, I still, maybe not to this day, but till very recently, I had people say that, uh, man, you've gotten soft, whatever happened to you? <laughs> and and, Sounds you know, like a super masculine comment right there. Yeah, it does. And in a sense, you know, it, it hurts me because I, I, I don't I, – I like that part, you know, and I like to be identified with that part. But I also have to be true to myself and to my God to say, no, that's, that's a piece of me. It was a piece of me. I still have a drive within me. I still have a competitive spirit within me. But my goal now is to have a greater impact – on others in a positive way and how I can help them is my goal. I want to be known as basically he was a good guy. Yeah. Somebody you wanted to be around. Someone who just left a positive feeling. Left a positive feeling. And that, that's that's a huge transformation from the first 20 years of my life or first 25 till now. Yeah. I mean, as a man myself, I think – you mentioned this earlier that it's really hard for men to be in space together, to share, to open up. Yep. And like you said, you've even been insulted to this day that you're soft. Yep. What would you say to guys like that? Um, now, if somebody was serious with me, if I, you know, I noticed a, a touch of serious sarcasm. Right. I get defensive. Joking. I would still today. I would get defensive. Mm-hmm. But if somebody was uh, had, had had a semblance of truth to it, but were more cautious in their approach, were more respectful when they said it to me, I'd laugh it off. Today, my answer is is to laugh it off, and I'll make a joke about, yeah, I love my little puppies and that type of thing. And inside, I have no problem with it. I, I don't. It would only be if it was mean spirited approach to me that somebody called me out on it that way, I would not accept it. I should, but I, I would not accept it. But somebody in a casual venue saying... Well, I guess my I guess my question is, what advice would you give to guys who won't open up, who consider the softness a, a deficit or a weakness? Uh, well, I think that they're not going to change overnight, number one. Yeah. So I don't know that there's any... Confucius saying they can really change what they're thinking their attitudes are but I do believe that for example joining a men's group Mm -hmm. joining a soul stories Mm -hmm. where they learn and it may take them a while to open themselves up once you open yourselves up once you open yourself up amazing things can happen especially if you do it in humility Amazing things can happen, but you need help to get there. You really need help to get there. It's not going to happen, and you may need to change your environment. I mean, if I would have stayed in my old neighborhood for all these years, there are guys down there to this day when I visit it that haven't changed one iota. They still believe in the tough guy mentality, and that's what rules, and they're 60 years old now, and they Mm -hmm. believe that. They haven't transitioned to what really life is about and why God created us. They haven't. And and it's a shame and it's sad to see if somebody hasn't made that maturity step. You know, that's that, that's where you have to go with it. And But I, I laugh it off today most of the time. Uh, I believe most of the people that I know today know me well enough, but they still may st- uh, those that I played ball with in the past, mm-hmm. I'll still get a comment, but most are in a joking way. They're still a little bit surprised that I'm not what I used to be, 
Yeah. And there's a, there's a, so there's a nugget of truth in what they're saying to me. But for the most part, I laugh it off. And, and it's actually, I receive it as a badge of honor that I have changed. I've made the changes that God has inspired me to make mm-hmm. in this journey that I wasn't making earlier. Yeah. And that makes me feel good. That's awesome. Well, congratulations to be able to do that. And I know that I'm only doing this right now because of you and because of that transformation you have made. Um, Well, thank you. Yeah. That makes me feel good, Danny. And so I want to transition a little bit because part of me asking all those questions and getting to know your story and journey is because I think when people hear that you're conservative or that you're Catholic in my community, you're immediately othered people. You're, you're no longer a person to them. Right. You're an ideal, you know, but isn't that what I did earlier to people who I thought impeded me? Exactly. That's the same thing I considered them to be. And that, and that's what I think I'm trying to get across. Cause I feel it in myself. I don't want to call just my friends. Out. I do this too. Or it's like, oh, they don't fit into my worldview, then, well, F them. We're not like, we're working towards change in the policy level in this way. And so I hope people can walk out like of this, like knowing your story and seeing the journey you're still on and you're taking and your humanity. And also like, I want to, I want to transition a little bit to bigger picture, but uh, what kind of world do you want to see? Well, ideally, I want to see a world at peace. And I don't mean that as a trite phrase. It's something I pray for as well. A world at peace we may never achieve in this world, again, because it's a pilgrimage. We believe this is very temporary. But I'd like to see a world at peace. And that goes from the individual, through the government, through the various nations in their interactions. And that's not easy, and compromise has to be made. But I think if you're confident in yourself, in your ability to love, in your ability to understand life and know that there's that humility is the soil in the garden of virtues. I love that, where it begins that way. But humility doesn't mean weakness. It means confidence. Mm-hmm. You just know you're the creature. God's the creator. But that in that role that you have, you bring people together. So I'd like to see a world where people are more together, even if differing opinions. The beauty of our country, no doubt, is the freedom to be different, the freedom to have different ideas, the freedom to disagree. What we have to understand as individuals is that's okay. That's a beautiful thing. Mm-hmm. They don't let that happen in Russia and China. You can't disagree. We can. And people have fought and died, so we can disagree. But let's do it respectfully. Let's do it in a good-natured way. We can have substantive debates, but let our end goal be peace. Let our end goal be harmony. We don't want disorder and chaos. That's a terrible thing. What we want is harmony. But we can still disagree and have harmony if we, if we respect each other and have dialogue and not fear having dialogue because somebody's going to call you a name as, you know, as a kind of a uh, fallback position. No, we don't want to go down that route. I want to see us where we have differing peoples can collaborate, can exchange ideas, can disagree, can shake hands and have fun together and enjoy family or different types of things together. And it's as human beings, those we disagree with, as you said earlier, we tend to ostracize. Mm-hmm. And it's a very human nature thing to do. And it's something we have to train ourselves to be more disciplined, to say we can have a very substantive debate, but my goal is not to alienate myself from this person. I want to... Again, I want uh, want unity and harmony, not division. It's 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 so interesting that you say that you talk about unity and harmony, not division, just as you said. And I I find it so fascinating 
and I try to tell my community about this, that me and you will get into some heated debates and we'll throw some jabs at each other and we'll yell and we'll get defensive a little bit. And then we'll like call each other out on our hypocrisies pretty quick. Um, and they're, they're clever. I feel like they're good, good debates. And then after we get to that level, there'll be this point where we talk about racial equity and equality. And then we'll talk about small businesses and how we hate corporations and all of these ideas that we share common ground. We have this common ground after we get past the fight. And I, every time I leave that, I just am like, what is going on? Why does my dad see that this way is the way for that thing? When I see this way, as the way to change. It's like we want the same thing, but we see the process is incredibly different. And, and, I, and I we just take, don't understand that. And we may take different paths to get to the same end. A good example, I think, for, for everybody is the reason why Ronald Reagan was so beloved as a president. And everybody listening to my podcast right now, I know will be like, no way I hate Ronald Reagan. Well, so go ahead. I would say study it. Study his, read, read the books that are out on him. And, and again, anytime we have opinions, the other thing to do is to be informed in your opinions. Don't let them be emotional. Let them be informed. So if you don't understand Reagan or didn't care for him or that's what you heard about, there are numerous books that I would encourage everybody to pick up and read who this man truly was. He hated communism and did everything he could because communism is evil. And he did everything he could to stop it to the extent that the Berlin Wall came down. That's so monumental, it's incredible. But the other thing is, the Speaker of the House at the time was Tip O'Neill, who was a diehard liberal Democrat from Boston. But he was Speaker of the House, powerful position. And him and Reagan got into it all the time. But Reagan considered him a friend. Reagan had a way about him that he would finish an argument with a smile. He'd stand by it. He'd stick by what he was saying. But he'd finish it with a smile and a, or a joke. Mm -hmm. And they were polar opposites. But they had... A very friendly relationship. It's a great history. In fact, if somebody wants to just read about that, Ronald Reagan and Tip O'Neill during the 1980s, that's a great story as to the insights to both those guys, but in particular, if you want to learn about Reagan. Well, I know there are some people listening who every bone in their body is cringing over what you said over Reagan, which is fine. It's and okay. I, th I think it's good. I think if you are sit with that discomfort, yeah, that's good. Um, in the spirit of Tip O'Neill and Reagan, I don't know the history. I'd have to do research, but that spirit, I think we need to get to. And I think we are in celebrity social media America where everybody can stand on a platform and yell. And we have plenty of mediums for your voices to be heard now anybody can start a blog or a podcast or do whatever anyone can tweet now our our president can bypass all media sources for his own tweets like that's the kind of place we're in is it is it possible can we get to like this relationship here can we disagree and still consider each other humans and not absolutely you can do it on the individual level which happens to what as what we're doing right here, mm -hmm. consciously drawing upon our values and what we want to accomplish together. Two persons, but two persons who are consciously trying to work together or to find common ground or to walk away in a loving relationship, mm -hmm. no matter if they never agree on anything. Yeah. So you have to have those two persons that are thinking in those terms, which comes with formation. Mm -hmm. which comes with information and training and learning and falling and getting up again. Mm -hmm. It's a process to get to this point that we can talk like this, right? Yeah. And it's the same thing with uh, governments. The greatest sin of them all is pride. Mm -hmm. And everything we're talking about, blogs, social media in particular, blo uh, that type of thing, 
are people, in a lot of cases, I won't say all, Mm -hmm. but in a lot of cases that believe they're smarter than everybody else and they're going to get that opinion known because they want the world to know they're smarter than everybody else and they won't relinquish the position if they are confronted by the fallacies of that position. Now, you can have those types of positions and if somebody calls you out and shows you the fallacies of your position, now it takes humility. And you take a deep breath to say, you know, that gives me some time to thought. Instead of saying, no, don't tell me I'm wrong because I'm right and you don't know what you're talking about. But now you have to, now again, these values, these values of that we're talking about of wanting peace and want to be in a loving relationship and want to be respectful of others. Mm-hmm come to the fore. And governments have to do the same. The other thing I wanted to say is that to really make it happen on a macro level, on a higher level, leadership. Leadership is such an important quality in our world. Not everybody's a leader, and that's okay too. You need leaders, you need followers. You know, you need presidents and you need you need maintenance folks. We're all equal. Yeah. We all have the same dignity in God's eyes. We've just been given different tasks to do. But leadership, positive leadership that speaks to these types of values will get to a lot of people. Yeah. So those who have the biggest forum need to lead in this respect, in this vein, to allow that voice. And again, in my opinion, that's the kind of guy Ronald Reagan was. His values were known and he, he led hmm. our country to a, a term of prosperity and uh, pride in a good sense because of his leadership. I think, yeah, I think, I think I really appreciate that point about pride. I think a lot of us are walking around in this world not sure what it's about, um, not sure what to do, not sure what to do with it, and I think... I think people's opinions become so strong in their identity because if they if they lose it, if they're not the smart if they're not the smartest, if they don't have this specialness to them, like who are they? They feel lost. Exactly. They feel they've lost their identity. They've lost their personhood. Yeah. And now all of a sudden they can really be they can go on a bad path right. very easily. And in my opinion, that's why a value system, an internal value system that needs to be formed, nurtured, and developed is so critical. Mm-hmm. Now, I experience that through my faith. I'm a believer that the Holy Spirit is the guy that's reconfigured me, mm-hmm. that's transformed me. Yeah. It wasn't me. I'm not capable of it. I believe that God, our higher power, our creator, is the one that will do miracles for you if you live according to his love and to his terms. Beautiful things start happening to you as an individual because he created us. He knows about us, but he also knows that he gives us free will. Right. And he asks us, hey, you know what? You need to form your conscience. You need to form values. And you're going to trip and fall along the way because you're human Mm -hmm. and there's going to be temptations along the way but anyways going back so having core values that are nurtured developed by whatever means now you can get to a point and now you can reach out more now you can i think serve as the bridge between people or groups because if you're only if you're only inward if you're only about yourself you're not going to form any bridges Right. I appreciate what you're saying about having your own value system. But I also recognize that what you're saying in having your own value system is still being open to others. Because I know for myself, you listen to the Soul Stories podcast uh, with where I was being interviewed while I was on the Loving Creative podcast. Shout out to Kamga. Great. That was a great interview. That was a great podcast. I was very impressed. And I said some things that aren't, that don't jive with your current value system. Mm -hmm. And you didn't judge me for that. You didn't say anything after that. You didn't make me feel lesser than because I don't believe in the same system that you do. And so I think it's like 
both having that internal fortitude to develop the system that gets you through life in the way that you feel best, what, whatever, whatever, we could talk about that forever, while also being like, that's where I'm at and that's what I believe. But also I recognize that that doesn't mean that that person believes it and that person believes it. And I think we're, we're really scared to admit that. Yeah, and it's not a static world that we live in. So where we're at today doesn't mean that we can't grow tomorrow mm-hmm. or for the next 50 years. I think that's an important point to keep in mind, that our value system or whoever we are today, it, it's going to change. It could change for the worse, could change for the better. You hope it changes for the better. You work so that it does keep things in a positive direction. But our life is not static. It's a continuing journey. It's a continuing evolution. Mm -hmm. Embrace the evolution. Embrace the journey. And if it all of a sudden it brings, like it did to me, things into my world that I never expected, never considered, yet were positive. And I know they're positive. And there's a certain innate feeling that we all have when we know good from bad or right from wrong truth. or positive or truth mm-hmm. positive from negative and this was all very positive and then i also confirmed that by the results of my actions that were starting to occur not that i was holier than thou but i started giving more of myself and started just taking well i think this has been an incredible interview pops um is there anything you want to say to finish this off anything left untethered no it's a good line of question and I, and I enjoy talking about this now because I'm, a, I'm at a point in life where I'd like to share my journey more uh, one point I did want to make too I guess I, I'd conclude with um, as I was climbing the business ladder I took risks I took chances but it was I, I think most people would consider it to be a successful journey at age 46 I was vice president of a small business, and for a period of time, I was their top guy, which they considered a general manager, and we got new ownership. The company was sold by our parent company to a private individual who did not see eye to eye with me at all. And after six months of what I think most people can consider as very poor treatment to me from this new owner, he fired me. I'm at age 46, and never in my life did I ever consider that I'd ever be fired. I left jobs on my own volition to go for something bigger and better, or so I thought, and most times it did. But this time, I got fired. And my first reaction was to hide from it. My first reaction at age 46, my first experience, was to not talk much about it, Mm-hmm. To tell to tell people that, well, new ownership came and he made changes, um, and all of a sudden it occurred to me that there was value in what I just went through, and the value was, I can tell my children and grandchildren, especially if they're in times of distress, that it happened to your dad or your grandpa. He was fired. He wasn't let go or he wasn't reassigned. He was fired in one of the worst ways possible in a very inconsiderate way. But what that says now to my children who may be experiencing something similar in life, Dad did too, and you can make it through it. Don't don't think that I'm a loser because that never happened to my father or right. my mother. No, it did. And it did. And it, it brings humanity, brings me down to a human level in the eyes of my children that said, you come back from it. But yeah, he was beaten up, bruised, and battered in his firing. And so now you can have confidence as my children to know that I'm no one special. I'm nobody. I'm not immune from being kicked around and fired and humiliated, but we got to go through it or or what we got to make it through. If it happens, there's hope. 
keep hope. Hope springs eternal. Keep it going. Keep moving and take solace in the fact that you're not alone when you go through that. It has happened to other people. In fact, people you know quite well, like your father. <laughs> yeah. And I think that's a very positive message that it took me a few months to get through to. But now I see it all the time. And now even like if my my older brother, who's we're very close, he still likes to say that, well, that guy was an idiot and this. And I said, no, it doesn't matter, Mark. I was fired. There's nothing easy about it. Right. And there's nothing pleasant about it. And I don't want it to be sound pleasant. Mm-hmm. I want people to know that I'm not somebody special that I can't be fired. So if it ever happens to you along the journey, know that it, it's it's happened to a lot of other people, including your father. Well, thanks for your vulnerability. Thanks for your wisdom. Thanks for your openness. Um, yeah, I love you, and I appreciate this conversation. Thank you, Danny. I love you, too, and I really love what you're doing with Soul Stories. Good luck with it. Thanks. Thank you for taking time to listen to the Soul Stories podcast. These conversations are very special to me. After each one, I feel more connected to myself and the community our team is building. I hope you were able to walk out with something for your own life and the journey you are on. I would love it if you could leave a review or share this episode with someone you care about. It all helps Soul Stories grow and make the impact we hope to make. Until next time, this is Danny signing off.